Hi, this is Adina here with today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of Courage to be Curious. And we, as you know, have been getting really curious. We started this year in asking questions from our Courage to be Curious card deck and then turned to real world events to find our courageous questions and the things we're pursuing. And for this First month in July, we're building off of a conversation that we had at the end of June with Elmer Dixon, where we started talking about unconscious bias. And we were talking about unconscious bias and how it relates across all different groups, whether that's gender or race, um, minorities of any kind, and even just the way we have unconscious bias that we build around how we see people in the world who look or sound or speak differently than we do. So today's guest is somebody who I'm really excited to have with us. I've spoke with her probably about five years ago in a previous conversation, um, who's going to take us even deeper into this and really thinking about unconscious bias and how it has influenced the roles and position and movement and mobility of women um, over the years. And so I'm excited to welcome Elva Pareja Gallagher um, to the show. Welcome, Elva. Thank you. I am so excited to be back with you, Adina. It's been a long time, but we've both had growth and fabulous experiences. Lots of curiosity, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And just so people know a little bit is Elba is the director of finance for UPS. She's been working in corporate America for a long time, which was also the context that gave birth to a nonprofit organization that she founded called Show Me 50. And so Elba, tell us a little bit about this journey of how working within your corporate environment of UPS gave rise to this idea and what is Show Me 50? So I've had a very long career within corporate America. Um, I'm going on 23 years. Actually, I'm going on 24 years at UPS. But before that, I also worked at State Farm Insurance, also a large corporation. And that has given me some unique insights and experiences about how differences are handled inside of very complicated organizations. And it was that sense of not belonging and not not having as much access and and the way that differences in my opinion negatively impacted me that inspired me to do something to help organizations change and that was the birth of show me 50 was that after so many years of seeing the same behaviors around me and no one doing something that I felt compelled to do something. And so um, that gives you a little background of of the birth and and why I started Show Me 50, which our mission and our vision is to achieve 50% women in senior leadership positions across all of corporate America. I focus on corporate America because I believe that the true economic engine of our country and really the world are these large S&P 500 companies. And if we could enable them to have more fair and transparent talent processes that truly give equal opportunity to everyone, it lifts all boats, right? Everyone is on a level playing field and has greater prosperity and large corporations give money back to the communities. And and that is a, a, what I call a virtuous cycle. Um, Now in terms of my 
career itself, I've had great opportunities. And so although organizations do have challenges, and, and I understand it's complicated. Um, my company employs almost 500,000 people. You have to uh, balance all the different constituencies. Um, but even with our challenges, I have had a tremendous success, largely driven by you know leaning in and really driving my career. I've worked in uh, finance throughout my career, investor relations, marketing strategy. I had the opportunity to go to Asia and I was an expat, lived in Singapore for one year and in Hong Kong for two years. I traveled Japan, Korea, Taiwan, it was an amazing experience. And then today I work in a U.S. domestic capacity. Uh, our business unit is almost $50 billion. And we run all of the profitability analysis for our business unit to help decision making. And then last thing, one of my passions along the way has been I've been very involved in the business resource groups, which are the areas of the company that help expand the value of diversity by helping employees feel like they belong and increasing the visibility to differences. In my case, the women's business resource group and the Hispanic business resource group. I'm Latina. I was born outside this country, actually, and I, um, I have a lot to give based on my rich uh, cultural diversity. That's amazing. And I love that you were able to share this entire breadth and it gives you this very powerful perspective on diversity and inclusion to having had, you know, the rich background of your personal background, as well as your professional scope as well. One of the things we actually have a group of women right now enrolled in one of our programs called women leading with productive curiosity. And so actually teaching the skill of productive curiosity to people, women who are leaders in their businesses, their organizations, um, and also in their lives as women are right. They're leaders in the community, they're leaders all around. And, you know, one of the things that I've been very aware of, whether as we've been talking about race issues and as we've been talking about gender issues is you know, what makes it so complicated? And I'm particularly interested from inside a business environment right now, what makes it so complicated to move this agenda of 50% forward? It is very complicated. Um, in fact, it's so complicated. I studied before I launched Show Me 50, I did a lot of research to become an expert in uh, gender inequality. And I had to actually create a an image to help, you know, narrow it down to, uh, to the most important points because it is so difficult to understand. So um, I would encourage your audience, if you uh, go to the showme50.org website, we have an infographic that explains the four key dimensions of our problem of why organizations just cannot achieve true gender equality. And, you know, it's really about four key areas. Um, if you think about the individual and the issues that impact individuals, as well as the more um, formal and sy systemic processes embedded in companies. So, you know, quickly, I'll cover the four. Um, you've got on the individual side, very informally, it's our own individual beliefs and unconscious behaviors so to your point, why we have so much unconscious behavior training, right? Um, but it is so difficult. The whole concept of unconscious bias is that 
it's unconscious. So how do you control things that are unconscious? It's tough. And so you have to develop what are what we call bias interrupters. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit. The second component is sort of the internal culture. And so there are, there are norms that are built into organizational cultures that really hurt equal opportunity. These are ingrained that they run deep in the organization. Um, you know, little things, you know, who we invite to meetings, who calls who, um, who we engage in conversations, you know, and there's just this, you know, informal rules of the game. And those are difficult to change because a lot of times they're invisible. The third area is access to resources. If you think about how change happens is you have to invest and you need resources, money, who has the budget and do they really believe in gender equality? Do they think there's something they can change? Are they going to allocate resources to it? Um, and then the fourth one is policy and procedure, right? Is the company creating the checks and balances in their talent management processes and all the mechanisms that are required to have a policy and procedure that truly creates a level playing field. So those four areas in itself, um, each one is very complicated, but if we could get all of those right, so it's at the individual level and then um, systemic level, and then from the informal to the formal. So, when I heard you talk about bias interrupters, um, and, and we're at each of these four things, you know, each one of them must have mechanisms of how do we go about changing them. And one of the things that's on the Show Me 50 website is your toolkit, because I remember your toolkit is like, how do we go about addressing some of these? Because as you talked about, a lot of them are invisible. A lot of them may have either, some of them may have been intentionally designed to keep things in a status quo, but many of them had that inadvertent effect as well, right? That they were norms or policies that were created because this is just how we did things and, you know, they haven't changed since then. So they become harder to change. But so I'd like to take on some of those and just ask, what are some of the things you found to be effective. And as you, I was mentioning, when you talked about bias interrupters, when we were talking with Mr. Dixon a few weeks ago, that even, you know, looking at, you have to look at people and see them as a leader. You know, there was a, there was actually a TED talk I was listening to, like put pictures of like, she was talking about black men in front of you and get used to seeing them so that you don't see them as the enemy. And, and the same thing, like may make pictures with women sitting in boardrooms, you know, that we get used to seeing these things. So how do you go about affecting and take maybe one or two of these and give us some of the strategies? Sure. Well, since you started on that point, I'm going to mention, um, you know, one thing we can do that is so easy. I just wrote a blog on this on race and gender because it, it it applies to both. Um, I call it count the faces, right? So sometimes we're afraid to do anything or say anything, but this is something you can do as an individual. Every time you go to a meeting and these days, those will be zoom meetings, but we, we have video and we know people's names and we know their gender or their race. Um, just count the number of people in the room who are a women or minorities right? So uh, especially around gender, I tell people, start counting the women in every meeting you go to. And all you want to do is start observing that, right? And you begin to notice, wow, 
I really never noticed that every time I go to a meeting, there's usually one woman or no women. Right. And I think that's the part of awareness that helps people begin to see what they previously couldn't see. So that's one example. Another example I'm going to give you because I'm going through this right now and it was quite startling. I I'm recruiting for an open position. I received the information on the candidates and they had put in salaries that the candidate had ranged. And of these, this group of candidates, there was just one woman. And it was shocking to me that this one woman's salary range was 13 to 16% lower than the other men, all the other men. Um, and she had more experience and more relevant experience. And so the bias interrupter there is number one. No one should be asking people their salary because by definition, according to the science research done, women start with lower pay because they tend to not ne to negotiate for higher pay. They tend to under, um, estimate their accomplishments and, and don't ask for more. And then that follows them their entire career. So that in the case of what I was looking at, a woman who already had, let's call it um, 15 years of experience versus the men in the group were three and five years of experience. And she was asking for 15% less because she doesn't realize that their the pay is so much higher. And so number one is, that's a simple one. Don't ask for things like that. Don't show people's names in the recruitment process. Um, we all know studies, especially around the unconscious bias, that when we see a name and it may sound or look like an African-American name, for example, well, your biases may initially kicked in, kick in. So don't show names, don't show pronouns. Um, and that way it, it helps to become more of a level playing field. Another bias interrupter is to demand that openings require diverse slates, meaning before you give me who I'm going to choose from, you give me a slate of candidates that is already diverse, right? So I'm not uh, tempted to subconsciously choose people who are like me. So those are a few of the bias interrupters. And the thing about bias interrupters, for the most part, they have to be systemic and HR has to be the one that executes this. And they have to invest in better training for recruiters and for their employees. We have to train people how to um, interview people correctly to avoid biases. For example, another bias interrupter is that before you begin a selection process, the hiring manager and the selection team should agree on what are the skills that are necessary for this job, the way it's being done right now, not some old job model, but how it's done right now. Agree what the criteria is. Is it more important to have education or experience? What kind of experiences? Um, you know, get very detailed about what's important and then get detailed with your selection team on how you're going to rate people. Okay, we're going to say that 25% uh, of the rating is in, on soft skills and, you know, 75% is on technical skills. And of the technical skills, these are going to be 10%, you know, whatever. Um, and once you come up with that matrix, then and only then do you A, start looking for candidates and certainly B, interview them. Because once the team agrees, then they can hold each other accountable and they're well educated on what it is we're looking for and how we're going to rate people before 
you start letting your unconscious biases step in. Does that make sense? So those are some interrupters examples. And there are many, many more. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I think you could go on. And the thing about it, it is all of it, back to that word you used early on, is awareness. And I would use this other word I love, which is the intentionality, because we are used to making so many decisions. And I think particularly in things like hiring is to, based on feeling. You know, what, how do things feel? And of course, someone who looks like us or sounds like us or uses vernacular that's similar to us or, you know, interacts with us a certain way is going to perhaps have a more comfortable feeling and that that's driven a lot of hiring in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so the things that you're stating are to become really intentional. And so as you, I know that you've been putting this forward and you've actually, you know, thankfully probably had some support for it within UPS. Otherwise you probably would have not made your career there this long. (laughs) You've had some support there, but you know, what strides have you seen being able to make within a company the size of UPS and you know, what kind of barriers still require a lot of work? So I will tell you that I have been extremely vocal and, um, and frankly, I feel I've been penalized for it. Um, Again, there's just, biases that happen with people when they feel threatened and speaking truth to power is incredibly dangerous because um, you are seen as someone who's being too vocal. And remember those norms that I told you about those deeply ingrained uh, norms that are within the organization. The minute you begin to uh, go on the edges of the norms, you are penalized in ways that cannot be, Um, you know, proven, but you absolutely are penalized. Um, But I've done it because I'm living my values and for too long, things are not fair. And so um, I believe in in fairness. I think that the playing field should be level for everyone. And by the way, I always bring this up because, you know, many white men are just as um, susceptible to to have bias hurt their careers. It goes back to difference and those social norms that exist within the organization. If a white man who is the majority group in the organization is different in some way, maybe they don't watch sports and everyone in the company watches sports. Maybe they, um, you know, have hobbies that are very unusual or different. Um, Maybe they hang out with the wrong group, so to speak they're penalized too. And so what I advocate for is a level playing field for everyone. Um, And so men and women, regardless of your um, race or ethnicity would benefit, would benefit from it. Um, So um, remind me the, the, (laughs) Chris, I get on this path and I'm like, Oh, what was the original question? Well, no, we were talking passionate strides that have been made in the barrier. Oh, Oh yes. I'm going to give you a great example. Right. So, so I'm speaking up, speaking up through the years and people are at first scared, especially among my peer level. Right. And certainly my bosses, I mean, it can be intimidating and, um, and threatening when someone begins to call out behaviors that are not acceptable. But um, I also have this analogy of a standing ovation, right? At first, the very first person that stands up is alone and clapping for whatever, um, you know, your um, 
happy about in the performance. Um, and maybe then another couple of people stand up and, and eventually uh, everyone stands up and then there's a few laggards and, and then he finally, even they, they make it right. And so I'd like to think that because of all the work I did and I worked closely with the um, Hispanic business resource group and the women's group, um, we applied enough pressure in a gentle kind of way by just talking about things that previously weren't talked about. Like when I started this journey, we never, I never heard the word gender spoken in my organization ever until after I started my organization. And then what happened was that um, I'm, I'm trying to remember, it was probably about two years ago, our CEO joined several um, very vocal initiatives one was with uh, Catalyst and being a champion for change. And then the second one was the um, diversity and inclusion um, advocates. And so as being part of those organizations, they're required to st start speaking more about gender equality. And so once that started happening, it really, the ball started rolling. Change starts at the top. Once the CEO starts talking about it, then everyone below him needs to become um, not only aware, but an advocate. And that's what I've seen happen at my company and at many companies. And, um, you know, and then this year, sort of we, um, we hit the jackpot because um, UPS named a woman as a CEO. And not only is she a woman, but she's not a UPSer. She came from the quote unquote outside, as we say. Although what's, what's so interesting about Carol Tomei is that she was on the board of directors of UPS for 17 years before she was elected to CEO in March. And so she's kind of like what I call an, uh, an insider outsider. <laughs> But we are thrilled. And so she is the real deal. We're so excited. She was the CFO at Home Depot before who has an, an, ex, an outstanding record of what they have done to create an inclusive culture. So we are uh, on the way uh, to the top for sure. That's amazing. And it's interesting the way this intersects with the platform, which is, of course, why we're having this conversation, but the platform of curiosity. And when I speak, I often pose this question to the groups that I speak with and I ask them, you know, what do you, what would you say is the opposite of curiosity? And I often get, you know, responses that might include apathy or fear or disinterest and things like that. And I pose the following and I suggest to them that perhaps one of the ways I see the opposite of curiosity is a certainty. That when I'm certain about something, I'm certain about my belief, I'm certain about my, you know, stance on hmm. something or my, you know, then I have no interest and I cannot be curious. Hmm. What you've described here is people, you know, they're very comfortable and very certain about the way things are and about, you know, the suitability or appropriateness of their behavior, their ways of being until somebody like the CEO getting involved then steps forward and punctures a hole in that certainty, you know, in their way. And then until you puncture that hole, until you create that opening, there's no curiosity, there's no interest at all. And it may not have been from, at, you know, a disinterest or an active disinterest, but it might've just been, you know, this comfort that's come, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm okay. I'm pretty certain I don't do anything wrong. I'm pretty certain that, you know, I behave as openly as I could be because many people will say that as they do in gender. No, I'm not, you know, I don't discriminate. I just look for the best person or, you know, those kinds of things. And people can have a sense of certainty around this. 
until they become uncertain. And, you know, I love what you talked about, the fact that it wasn't always so comfortable, but part of moving forward the agenda is being willing to be in the place of the discomfort until people start to rise up and create that ovation and, and the clapping starts. And it does require our you know, thick skinness that we can be a little bit uncomfortable or even a lot uncomfortable in order to create change and movement. Yes. And, you know, I love, I'm going to borrow your, um, the conversation there on certainty. I think you're right. When we are certain, um, we close ourselves off to anything else. And, um, and I think, yeah, I think we're in a moment right now with the, um, all the conversation of Black Lives Matter and um, racial injustice and, you know, a reawakening or not reawakening, just an awakening of what was previously invisible to, to many of us. Um, even for those of us who thought we were, you know, we were champions and advocates. Um, I tell you, in the last two weeks, I, I mean, I, my eyes have been in, incredibly changed and I just, I just responded to a blog. There was a, a very um, interesting conversation around brands, brands that are changing their branding because they are based on a time and a place that is no longer something we should you know, talk about like that. And specifically is the word plantation and what plantations meant for um, enslaved people. And, uh, and so brands are quickly saying, Oh Lord, we got to change, you know, we can't use that word or use an image or, and so it creates a lot of uncomfortable conversations because of course there's the other, you know, the other side too. But I think that things like this, that throw our certainty into uncertainty, um, are places for growth. In fact, I did a lot of work in one of my roles. I worked in marketing and strategy and we did a lot of innovation work and ideation. And, um, and, and certainly when you want to have a, a breakthrough innovation that is outside of the current market norm, um, what we call blue ocean strategies, you've got to go well beyond what you know. And I think that's where we're at. We've been thrown into um, chaos, essentially, in terms of our way of thinking, of our mindset. Um, and even for those of us who were advocates uh, for racial justice and for equality, um, even we're learning a ton. I, I love it. I feel like um, it's the kind of enlightenment that as a lifelong learner is just something amazing and, and so good for my soul. So um, there are two things I want to really get in as we're still in conversation here. One of them is you recently wrote another blog article. You've been very active. You've been writing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> You know, you wrote a letter that I saw posted on LinkedIn, which was a letter to CEOs. And it was really, you were, you were putting everybody in this uncomfortable place of it's not enough just to say these certain things. If you're really going to put your money where your mouth is, if you're really going to do something, here are the things that you need to do. And you were very direct about that. So, you know, share a little bit what prompted that and then what were some of those things that you felt like, all right, this isn't just about posting a nice message, but what do people really need to do? Yeah, thank you for bringing this up because it um, it was bold. Now, remember for your audience, I'm working inside of a major corporation. I am a director level employee, which 
you know, it's considered a senior leader position. And there are certain norms that are expected and I'm breaking them by speaking out. Now, one thing that we do in Show Me 50 and what I do as an individual is that I want to collaborate with people. I don't want to throw people under the bus. I always lead and talk with respect for all points of view, right? Because I'm always trying to learn from other points of view. I want to understand. You said something earlier, seek to understand. Um, And so although I write in a very bold way, um, at the end, it's respectful. And I'm just holding people accountable because businesses hold themselves accountable to their performance goals. So why can't we hold them accountable to behavior that is not acceptable and does not flow from their values? And so that's what I did in this story. Um, You know, as respectfully as I could be with such a bold topic, um, what inspired it was because in my office, I have CNBC that runs on the background. And so when, when all of the conversation started, and the company started issuing these press releases. Well, all their CEOs started showing up on CNBC. One after the other, constantly, all day for like four days. Um, number one, they were pretty much all white men. And they kept saying the same thing. Oh, you know, we're advocates and we've always been. And, you know, here's some money. And it's just so frustrating. That just made me realize that we've got to hold them accountable. Giving money, that's not enough, right? You have to do, you have to do the things that you can because number one, they're in charge. The buck stops here. They have all the power. They have to prioritize the budgets and put them in the places within their own four walls that can fix things. And so, yeah, I came up with very specific um, action items in four areas, which are essentially the show me 50 win, win checklist. Uh, and those areas are for education, transparency, workplace flexibility, and executive accountability. Now, luckily, I, I don't say luckily, but it is a silver lining from COVID that we have been thrust into executives having to accept more workplace flexibility. And we have proven that we can get our jobs done effectively. And so that's no longer an excuse. So that's going to be a huge help for women and for fathers who are very actively involved in their family lives. So um, that's helpful. But in the area of transparency, you know, they've, as I described the bias interrupters, those are the things they've got to do. They've got to train people. They've got to use technology to enable them. They have to invest in their HR systems so that they remove all the biases that have been going on for decades. In the sense of education, you've got to have not just unconscious bias training, it's a cultural change. And that has to come from deep and frequent conversations on race and bias at work. And the white men of the organization have to be right there with them. And so um, I gave an example of a program called White Men as Full Diversity Partners, where you embed white men for three days, or you can do shorter time frames, one day, two day class, um, where they really talk to each other. It's for men only. And they begin to have that enlightenment experience that really enables them to be true advocates. Um, and then the executive accountability area, um, I mean, this one is really touchy because while executives like to hold everybody else accountable, they absolutely don't like it when you 
you know, tell them that they're going to be held accountable to something that is important like diversity and inclusion. And I'm going to give you one example, which um, is on our website as well. In the best in class examples, we have a page dedicated to, um, you know, you know, people say, oh, you can't get to 50%, you know, really, how's that really going to be possible? And so they're, they're companies who are doing it. But one example is a company that won an award last year, Unilever. They have achieved 50% women in all positions globally, one year ahead of their goal. And so that is just absolutely phenomenal. So every position in the organization, including at the top, in the C-suite and on the board, 50% women. And they, their last thing that put them over the edge was they developed something called the gender, appor- uh, excuse me, gender appointment ratio, the gender appointment ratio, which measures senior leaders' track records in appointing women. So imagine that all of a sudden, um, by name, um, you are identified on a list of how many women you've appointed, right? And so back to what I was saying that we can all do is um, hashtag count the faces. Um, This is a way of counting the faces for executives, right? Which is, you know, what do their teams look like? For how long have they looked like that? What are the patterns that are demonstrating. And it's not like that you're going to call people out and embarrass them, but you are going to make them aware, hey, we've noticed that uh, your appointment ratio is, you know, 0.2 or whatever. Um, You know, let's talk about what are some of the challenges you're facing. And when those conversations happen, then the company can help you identify where, where the gap is and how we can help you. For example, maybe a particular manager needs a skill set that's very um, specific. And he's been going to certain networks to find that. But in the networks he's going to, there is only one kind of person there, right? Let's call it, it's a, a specific college, maybe it's an affluent university. And so you see lots of white men in that particular field of engineering. Well, what the company could do is say, hey, you know, John, how about we help you and we're going to try to help you find other resources and you still maintain your autonomy, but we give you some resources to help expand your pool. Um, So that's an example of how you can hold people accountable um, with respect and dignity and just simply giving them the resources they need to fill the gaps. Absolutely. And I have to pick up on something you said. You, you sort of snuck it in there. And it's the thing that's been sitting with me for like the last couple of minutes of your talking is when, you know, this goal of having 50-50 and somebody said to you, well, I don't see how that could be possible. And I'm just sat there with that ringing in my head. All these things we can create, all these things we could do, women making up more than 51% of the population of the globe. And what's behind that statement? I don't see how we can do that. I am curious, like, what's missing? Like, what are we lacking other than right? The willingness to look at the norms of how we've been operating and shift them, which is not a major magnitude. We're not talking about innovations that break through technologies like we do all the time in our companies. We're talking about simply pivoting our minds in another direction. So I just had to pick up on that when you said that. But you know, it's a big deal because it has to do with power, right? And so the people in power, everything's great. And why would you, what do you care what's going on, right? It's like, hey, my life is great. I'm in power. I get to make all the decisions and um, I don't have an issue. I'm, I'm, I'm not biased. We're picking the best people for the job. Uh, and that's why you've got to have intentionality, which you mentioned earlier, and you've got to have the systemic bias interrupters. If you cannot leave it to individuals because we're all 
biased. <laughs> if you're a human being, you've got biases. And so we uh, require some intervention from systemic um, procedures and processes. And so, um, yeah, it's got to change. So it's complicated. Again, it goes back to those four complicated uh, problems, which I described, right? All those ingrained norms. And then the four solutions, which also are supremely complicated because they require money. And so companies have to decide, well, gosh, do I want to invest in painting my you know, building or do I want to invest in setting up this new wonderful HR system that's going to uh, eliminate some of the biases. And that's where you, if you have a diverse uh, executive leadership team who are, have a voice at the table, then it, it will be more fair that you can allocate resources. Maybe you have, you know, what we advocate for at Show Me 50 is that you just have to put down a plan, sit down with all of the stakeholders and develop a, uh, a map, a roadmap uh, over the next 10 years. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to commit, you know, X percent of dollars in here. And by the time we get to this year, we're going to be there. And these companies, if you look on our website in the best in class page, that's how they've done it. They've done it by building a roadmap and allocating resources, both human resources and financial resources. So as we're beginning to wind down here, as I mentioned, we have a group of women right now who are in a, one of our programs, Women Leading with Productive Curiosity. And I would love for you to maybe speak directly to them in this sense and any woman who is listening, who really wants to get some guidance. How do I move this agenda? And some of them work inside corporations. Some of them own their own businesses. Some of them, you know, are different levels within an organizational structure. But, you know, what is the role of any woman in moving this agenda forward? So thank you for this opportunity because I would love to speak to them. I would love them to reach out for me. One thing we re need right now is white women help from white women. If you look at the statistics and how they've changed over time, white women are making more progress than minority women, women of color. And so as white women have been elevated to more senior positions, we need their help to do just as you said, to get involved and not just being mentors to women. What we need is being uh, mentors and advocates for women to the men in charge who are making the decisions and the allocation of resources. And so I would love the opportunity to uh, work with uh, women who want to, to pitch in and do more with actions that can influence policy and culture change. And so back to the, to the win-win, win-win checklist or show me 50 win-win checklist, those four areas that's where we can focus our attention, working with the women's leadership groups within the, your organization to form coalitions, going to HR and to the executive leadership team, specifically your diversity and inclusion councils, and engaging in conversations and helping them build a roadmap. That is what needs to happen, and we need to hold them accountable. It's just no longer acceptable to say, oh, well, we've got this woman's organization and this BRG and, and this initiative. No, we need a holistic roadmap. Show me, 
show me what you are going to do year by year, how much money you will put into each program in those four areas, right? Those four areas, which are supremely important, education. So bias in education, but not the kind you're used to, not videos, not half-day classes. This is an integrated culture change education program. Um, we do something with Lean In called 50 Ways to Fight Bias. It's an amazing uh, engagement tool for employees that's not just about teaching them how to interrupt their biases and how to embrace differences, but it's a great employee engagement tool, uh, camaraderie, and uh, helping a large group in your organization to understand each other better. Uh, the second part is workplace flexibility. Of course, we talked about that. We've gotten a great uh, help, and we have to make sure that, number one, companies remain committed to allowing employees to work in ways that help them uh, balance their lives, but also we're going to have to be on the lookout for negative consequences that will come to women who may choose to continue to work at at home, whereas people going into the office are getting more face time. And so po company policy is going to have to really look for career development, um, engagement with employees that are working from home. Then you've got um, executive accountability, which we've talked about already. And then the, the fourth one was transparency, which means that um, all the positions need to be adequately communicated. All the programs for career development have to be communicated. We have to be more transparent about what it means in our company to get promoted and how you get promoted. What's the criteria? And then being very transparent about performance evaluations and being objective. And, and, and that's the area of transparency. So I would tell your audience, the women um, in the leadership curiosity area that uh, you need to step up, uh, give me a call and I'll help you develop something that you can implement and take back with you to your organization. Absolutely. And I love that because I'm already thinking about what tools can we offer to them in the program while they're with us. And so you and I will talk more about that. So along that vein, you have a program that ran on June 30th, 50% when and how. So tell us a little bit about that program. And I also want to make sure people are going to be able to stay connected to you and follow you because as Show Me 50 has more and more opportunities, I want people to be able to engage. So tell us about 50% when and how, and then how people can stay in touch with you. Sure. So back in 1995, I was a foot soldier for the election of a woman in Louisiana where I was living at the time to become governor. And she didn't become governor, but she went on to become the first female senator from Louisiana. And at the time, she was one of nine women in the U.S. Senate. And she spoke in a fireside chat together with Josh Leves, who is another pioneer. Josh Leves is a uh, expert on the modern dad at work and he needed to take some time off to take care of his preemie daughter and his company CNN would not give him paternity leave and so he sued them and in, in the end they changed their paternity policy but for women to advance men have to also have access to the same benefits so that women aren't penalized when they take maternity leave if men take paternity leave, right? The, the organization and the culture recognizes the value of that time off for both 
men and women, and that levels the playing field. And so we had a great conversation about the importance of advocating for change and how to do so. We also had three amazing breakout sessions, um, one on uh, how to rise and thrive for women, executive coaching, another one on how to have these crucial conversations around race and gender, and then the third one was from a man, it was led by a man, for men only about how men need to step in and support women at work and how to advocate for change in their organization. So it was a fantastic event. And, um, you know, I would encourage people to come, keep coming back to our website, showme50.org, where we have tools to drive change. Wonderful. And so we close showme50.org. That's how people can reach you. You're on LinkedIn and follow Elba because she writes very powerful pieces that give us all that kind of practical guidance. How do we move forward? And as you know, our platform is really about getting courageously curious. And so typically our episodes conclude with a question, like what is it that you would want people, men or women, to be asking themselves? What should people be getting curious about? I'm going to end by just the simple thing that I I suggested earlier, which is count the faces. Um, If you do nothing else from this day forward, every time you're in a Zoom meeting of any kind, whether it's a small Zoom meeting um, or whether it's a higher level executive meeting, look around the physical or virtual room to who's in the meeting and just start recording that in your mind um, and, and, and observe the composition of the room in terms of race and ethnicity and gender. Um, and, and ask yourself, wow, you know, why is it like this? And where we can really have a powerful impact is when we ask ourselves, what could I do to change the composition of this room? And, and something simple is if I'm the one that's running the meeting, if it's my project, and I show up for a meeting and I just happen to notice that there are no black people in the room, I should ask myself, wow, this was my meeting. What could I do? And some people may say, well, I don't have black people on my team. I don't have Latinas on my team. Well, we live in a time where we're trying to develop people. There are plenty of people in your organization that you could look around for. Maybe there's somebody that wants to, um, to develop their career and you can begin to have conversations with them and eventually um, invite them as a guest, for example, and give them an opportunity to meet new people. So, so that's what I'd leave with you. Count the faces and ultimately ask yourself, what can I do to change the composition of this room? I love that. And I love the way that you speak about this, which is both in passion and extraordinarily practical, that you never walk away from a conversation just leaving us elevated to these things that would be future wonderful ideas, but you lay out the pathway. How do we get there? And I think that's one of the power, um, the strengths of Show Me 50 is that it comes with the practical tools to do that. So I am excited to think about which of those tools we can bring to the women in our program and to continue following you and having these dialogues because you're doing amazing work. And, you know, I have two daughters and I keep watching the trajectory, right? And keep looking and, and watching and seeing and praying, right? That we're doing the work we need to be doing to make a difference as they keep growing and maturing into women and women who will be making their impact in the world. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been amazing. It has been. Thank you so much. Um, Have a wonderful day.
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to experience the full game-changing potential of the questions we explore, be sure to add your name to our mailing list at www.couragetobecurious.com. Our subscribers receive weekly notification of the podcast along with specific tools for using these questions on a daily and weekly basis to create positive and powerful impact. As always, the questions we explore on the podcast can be found in our Live, Lead, and Love with the Courage to be Curious card decks that are available at liveleadlovecourageously.com. And if you are interested in harnessing the power of productive curiosity for your company or organization, contact us about scheduling a professional development experience. In the meantime, keep wondering your way to brilliance.